Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Father, thank you for the word of God. You've not left us comfortless. You've sent the Holy Spirit And you've not left us without direction or the will of God in the Word of God. So today, as a a collective local body, we open our hearts to your direction. Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would use His Word to make us more like Him, more like you. Lord, I pray this time be profitable. Thank you for the privilege you've given us in this country to worship you in freedom. And Lord, we're we're thankful for our country and for our leaders, our political leaders, Lord, I pray that you would direct them. You've asked us to pray for those that are in authority over us. And so this is a troublesome time in the world, politically, internationally, as well as the health situation. Lord, I pray for wisdom. They certainly need it. And so I pray that they be directed by wise counsel. Today, we pray for your wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Appreciate the, the opportunity again this morning to look into the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's begin reading, shall we, to set the context. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There's a fall warning there, isn't there? And then he says, There hath no, tempt taken, no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation also make a way, last week we talked about that, the way is a great way to say that, Jesus Christ is the way to hide ourselves from temptation and escape, that, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul says, I'm speaking to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which, with which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? When we come together to to celebrate the Lord's table, we're celebrating the gospel that unites us together. For we being many uh, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread, namely Christ. Behold Israel, thinking back now to the Old Testament, after the flesh are they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar, that drew them together, that identified them. What shall I say then, that the idol is anything, or that, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols in, is anything? No, not really. We, we already discussed that. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. I would not that ye should have fellowship with the devils. Verse 21, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils or demons. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? Verse 23, all things are lawful for me. We'll explain that in just a moment, so hang on. But all things are not expedient or helpful. All things are lawful for me, but all things do not edify. Let No man seek his own, but every man another's wealth or well-being. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not, unbelievers, bid you to a feast, and you be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience' sake. 
But if any man say unto you, This is offered and sacrificed unto idols, eat not. For his sake that showed it, for and for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I, by grace, be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? And then a verse you probably memorize. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor the Gentiles, nor the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. I'd like to add one more verse, chapter 11, verse 1. I think it ties in. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. We are, of course, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and the idea in the book of 1 Corinthians is that we're called to be different, identified with Christ. God gives us His, his title. We're saints uh, called out by God to be uniquely <clears throat> purposed and identified by the grace of the gospel. We are different than the world. Not weird, but we're different, set apart under the purpose, the holy purposes of God. And so that's really been the theme of the book. And we were really talking about the idea, beginning last week, about running the race in such a way that we would win. Now, what are we to win? An incorruptible prize, for sure. But Paul, four times in chapter 9, says, I'm about winning more souls to Christ. I am. And so I limit, that's really what chapters 8, 9, and 10 are about. It's limiting the expression of our freedoms, our Christian liberties, in order that we might win or gain the more. So we're talking about things that are permissible versus things that are profitable. Let me do some explaining of some words in our text that we've just read, uh, perhaps if you've got the King James Version in front of you, some of these things will be helpful. Look at verse 16, the cup of blessing. Paul's speaking about uh, ideal, or he's speaking exactly about the cup that was taken to the lips during their feast of the Passover. The third cup was called the cup of blessing. Now we, as a church, under the dispensation of the church or grace, enjoy the ordinance of communion. But he's speaking to them, the cup of blessing or communion with which we bless. The word devils, I'm sure you know what that word means in verse 20 and other places, simply means demons. And then partakers, verse 21, is simply mean participants or fellowshippers together in worship. Verse 23, expedient. That's a word that most of you, I think, would know. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. We could just think of that word as simply this. Not everything, although it's permissible, is helpful. All right? And then we look at uh, the word shambles. That's not a, a word we use a lot in terms of at least the way it's used here. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles. Maybe you're thinking of your closet right now. It's in shambles. No. Whatsoever is sold in the meat market is what Paul is saying here. Uh, is what he's uh, really referring to, that eat. And then feast, verse 27, uh, that's just kind of a dinner or a, a family gathering of friends or so forth around food. Now we're going to take our theme or our thought today from the phrase found in verse 23 of chapter 10. Please note that all, we mentioned all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. I don't know, if you, man, if you've ever been trying to work on your car, you have a son that you want to you're underneath the car, and you want your son to help you bring you a tool that you can't reach from where you are. 
And maybe you tell your young uh, son, adolescent son, uh, son, would you please go get me that quarter-inch drive? I need a nine-millimeter socket. Would you bring those two things to me? And he comes back with a grease gun. And you say, son, this is really nice, but it's not all that helpful right now. And you have to do some more explaining, right? What, what is a quarter-inch drive, Dad? I don't know. And where do you keep your nine millimeters? What, what about this? Have you ever been on top of a, 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 a roof, guys, and you're trying to do some roofing? And you say to your teenage daughter, would you pre please bring me a, um, a shingling hammer or a claw hammer? And she comes back with a rubber hammer. And you say, thank you, dear. This is great. <laughs> it has its place. But it's not all that helpful right now. What I need is my shingling hammer. And so you have some explaining to do. When Paul says, all things are lawful for me, in context what he means is this. He doesn't simply say, no, now I want you to know as a believer, everything is okay to participate in without question. No, he's saying to us, all things that are not explicitly forbidden, that God in Scripture perhaps is not very clear about, these things that are debatable, questionable, doubtful things, they may be permissible to me, but not all things are helpful for the advancement of the gospel. That's what it means. There are some things that the Word of God is clear that are not lawful, right? You could mention them. Immorality is wrong, that's obvious. Idolatry, worship of demons is wrong. A theft and so on, that's clear. But as he, said, as he said in chapter 8, verse 4, an idol made of silver or gold or wood is nothing. Have you noticed that just because you wear a silver cross around your neck doesn't make you more spiritual? Have you noticed that? I mean, I've seen unbelievers who wear Christian symbols that... So, so an idol is just an object, right? And he, he said, you understand that. That's nothing. And uh, food and drink, chapter 8, verse 8, by itself, this external material, you put it and you ingest it, it doesn't make you any closer to God or separate you from God. In fact, in chapter 10, verse 23, he said, uh, I, I want you to know that the things that these external objects, verse 23, let's look at that, all things are lawful for me. That all things are not, these things that are not expressly forbidden to Christians, that we have knowledge about, that don't really bump us out of the saddle for Christ, uh, these things that are often debated in the church, uh, and he, he would have in mind the things that he's already explained. He says, I have the, the right to be married, I have the right to meet, eat meat offered to idols. Uh, it doesn't bother me to know that that piece of steak was offered to Jupiter a, couple, a week ago. It's not a big deal. It doesn't affect me, but some are. So that's what he's talking about. I know he says that I can eat meat off idol meat. We talked about that. Uh, there was a certain uh, class of, of food that was offered to idols. There was a surplus. It was sold in the market at a discounted price, and it was the best cut available. And wouldn't that be I say, wouldn't that be wonderful? That's not an issue that we face today. But I was looking up at Sam's department store the other day at a brisket. I think about two months ago, you could buy a brisket for 40 bucks. And now it's like 120 bucks. I don't know what's happened in just a month or two. But the best cuts offered to idols were there and available. And some of the Christians uh, were taking it without a problem. Others had big problems with it because of the attachment. So he was saying, it doesn't affect my walk with God. 
a select T-bone or a leg of lamb that's been offered first to Artemis or Zeus or some wooden image is perfectly fine or lawful within the bounds of permissibility. It's okay. Why? He says, because I know that that idol of wood is nothing. We could add, of course, the list of things that Paul said. I, 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 Paul's, Paul's own position on things were perhaps even higher than ours. And he said, I, I have withheld from myself uh, the joy of marriage, raising a family, and uh, leading a wife. Pay, he said. I, I don't accept pay for preaching. He said, I do that for the gospel's sake. These things are permissible. So he says, I am directed by not what's most helpful for me, but what's most profitable for you, what's best for you. That's what directs my thinking. Friends, do you know this? You can mark your spiritual maturity by this one measure or one consideration. Does this decision or this action that I'm about to partake in promote and please me or does it help others around me and does it promote and advance the gospel. What does God say comprehends all of Scripture? What does God say comprehends? What is the greatest commandment? Condense the Bible for me. He asked the question to that rich young ruler, and the man had a good answer. Luke 10, 27. You should love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. And don't forget to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Bible in a nutshell. And Paul says, as a missionary, there's a lot of things I could do. As a mature Christian, there's a lot of things I could do, but I limit my freedoms in order to best serve the people around me. So chapters 9 and 10, Paul, uh, remind by, just by way of reminder, Paul has said um, there is a, a sense in which I want to limit my freedoms. And he was very concerned in chapter 9, just by way of review, that he was not, would not be disqualified. He says, four times, I'm, I want more than anything to help those that are lost around me come to Christ. And so that is the, those are the, the parameters or the banks of the river that I, that I constrict my ministry under. The fact that I want folks to win Christ. I I, I restrict my freedoms in order to gain the more. More souls for Christ, more souls for Jesus, he said, was his battle cry. And then he also shared his greatest fear as well, as we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 at the conclusion. He says, I'm afraid that when I've preached to other people, what? After I've served Christ all my life or towards the end of my life, I'm afraid that I'm going to be, verse 27, cast away. We, we talked about that. I'm afraid that I'll be disqualified. And so that was his greatest fear. He said, I would lose my reward. And so chapter 10, really verses 1 through 12, there is a fall warning. I don't want to be disqualified. And as you looked at chapter 10, he gave us a great illustration of the people of Israel. They had all kinds of privileges, right? They did. Can you imagine being part of that crowd, chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 who were able to leave the greatest power then out of, out of bondage and slavery through the, the Red Sea. And, and then they had not only that, they were given God's 
kind of constitution for life, civil life, spiritual life. This people alone, the Jewish people, were called by God to reflect His glory and grace, to declare His grace among the nations. They were the vehicle. They were the conduit. They were the special people. Upon, And we don't know why, but God chose them for that great privilege. And in the middle of their, their big camp out, the moving camp out, where all the 12 tribes were assembled, He placed Himself and his tabernacle right in the middle. And in the holiest of holies, there he had a little golden box upon which he would declare uh, to the uh, high priest and, uh, and uh, really lead the people, minister to the people. Now God, of course, cannot be confined to the Holy of Holies there. But that was the, the contact point. God's place in the world was in that little tent that the Jews traveled with, the mobile sanctuary. Now imagine this. He said, you having all those privileges walked away, you're in danger of walking away from the best for the least, from the best for the worst. You've left Egypt and you can't get Egypt's God and Egypt's food out of your mind. And all through the wilderness, all they could think about is some other God, some other place, and other privileges when they had the very, imagine this. This is just for sake of illustration. Imagine you came to church today and there was this big curtain pulled from one edge, the sanctuary up here to the other, and I were to step out from in front of it and, uh, and I would say, guess what? <laughs> Bible Baptist Church, we've got a great privilege. Behind this curtain is the very presence of God. And there's a golden box back here. And God has designed it and declared it to be so. You just saw me this week and gave me this. Speaking as an apostle, right? God has declined, designed it that, that this church, among all the churches, is going to be the place where God meets and directs His people. And that His presence is right here on the stage. And it's manifested on top of that golden seat back here. And imagine then, after knowing this, that you would leave this place. I mean, that's a big deal. You would leave this church, nudge your wife on the way to your car in the parking lot and say, whatever. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's a great news that God is in our church, that God is manifesting himself uh, right here and only here, and that we have the privilege of accessibility to God and that he's going to use us to be a light in this community, but whatever. I'm going to go to some other place, some other God, and worship there. No wonder God said in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, I was so upset with my people that I scattered their bones in the wilderness because they didn't see the privilege they had of having God in the middle of their habitation. What other people had it is good. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 12 is a fall warning. Don't neglect the glorious presence of God, and don't we have it even better than they had it? God is manifesting Himself. He's given us His Word completed, and inside of us, He's placed the Holy Spirit. You are the tabernacle of God. And yet, why is it why is it that we float around in love or falling in love with other gods, 
other pleasures while we have the best available to us, the only wise God. Well, he warns the people in chapter 10. Again, this is an understatement uh, when, when we see this in chapter 10, verse 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. These things were written for our example, that we should not fall like they fell scattered their bones in the wilderness, and there was a whole generation that never even made it. What is idolatry? And are you one? Are you an idolatrous Christian? Why is it that we leave the best in terms of what we have in the Scriptures, in our churches, our relationship with the Lord, and go hankering, pandering, longing after other gods? What are we doing men, looking at porn when we have the Rose of Sharon available to us. We have the one true living God. Why are we longing for another wife or home or family or situation when God has blessed us with the best? Why? You say, I'm not an idolater. Do you know what idolatry is? It is that little nudge that moves us, even if it's one step away from full satisfaction, full adoration with the God of heaven and replaces it with any other lesser God. And so he says, be careful. Be careful that your pride doesn't make you an idolater. I remember, it is uh, still wintertime, I love to see pictures from our friends in Indiana. And they're still standing in snow, I think, for the most part up there. And I love to just remind them that here in Georgia, the trees are beginning to bloom. But I remember one very icy winter we had, and I, you know, I love mornings, and so I usually come out of the house with a little spring in my step. And I remember that particular night before there was this kind of icy a storm that pulled through, and it just covered everything with a layer of ice. And I, at the time, was still pretty young and spry, and I came out of the house with a spring in my step and a song in my heart, and I took about two steps, and I realized my feet were doing this, and I hit, (laughs) we have this great big slope, we had this great big slope in front of our house that ran right in our subdivision, ran right into the street. And I remember hitting that sidewalk and just immediately just landing on my backside, flat on my back, looking up at the blue heavens and beginning a slide. I don't know where luge began, but I was a loser that day. And, uh, and I realized immediately that there's nothing to grab to stop me. And so I was kind of swimming here I was dressed in a suit and tie and sliding <laughs> on my back towards the road. And so I, kind of in this this desperate moment, I looked over and I realized if I can kind of wiggle and worm my way over a little bit, I can get to to where the car is and maybe hang on to something before before I'm in the middle of the street. You know, that's a, you know, have you ever noticed that that there's there's no dignified way to fall? Have you noticed that? There just isn't. So I'm sliding and trying to get over to something that will stop 
my slide before I'm in the middle of the road because I'm picking up steam, speed. And so I'm scrambling over as fast as I can. Nothing is stopping me. Everything is a sheet of ice. You've got to be from the north to know this. I guess we had our ice storm a few years ago here. But I mean, that grade was just taking me. And finally, I, I was getting over to the car and Underneath the car went my legs and my torso, and I stuck in the middle of the car. Underneath the car, in the change oil position, right? And the first thought of my brain was, I hope my neighbors aren't watching me. <laughs> Glad that I didn't end up in the middle of the street, but I'm... Did anybody see that? So I'm trying to crawl my way back. And it was one of those deals where you take, crawl your way back to the house. Take care, take heed that your pride and your privileges in Christ don't make you feel like you're above that human tendency to fall. Bible Baptist Church, we have a lot of good things in our history, but don't let your creed, your doctrine, your legacy of faithfulness take you away from your own desire to worship God. So we, we kind of doing this all by way of review. All things are lawful, but excuse me, we'll go the other way. Uh, be careful that you are not disqualified. We talked about this, disqualified because of your lack of discipline. We saw that spiritually, every man Verse 25 of chapter 9, that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, and we do that, of course, they do it to win a corruptible crown, but we, a spiritual, we talked about the four or five crowns that we can win because of our spiritual service, and Paul was so careful to say, I want to win to hear the well done from my spiritual coach in heaven. I run that I might win, verse 26, and then of course, the reference to those who did not run that way. Be careful. Last week we looked at this, that you're not destroyed because of your disregard for God's blessing. Again, we see that and we've talked about that a little bit. Now, thirdly, today, just for the time remaining, be careful that you are not disgraced by the reason of your pride and your preference. Already alluded to this a little bit, but be careful. And I, I think this is a, a wonderful a treatment of this subject and a conclusion, really, not that Paul won't speak about it again, but there's a chapters 8, 9, and 10 about the, the expression of our freedoms. And he's, he's going to give us some warnings about that. Do not be disgraced or dishonored by reason of your pride and your preferences. Let's begin by looking at the text in terms of pride. Pride does some things to us, right? Pride makes us careless. We see that in verse 12, take heed that you don't fall. Uh, and then we see it in verse 20 again. But I say to you, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. Speaking again of the practice at many of the feasts there in Corinth of, of worshiping in the midst of their feasts and festivals, worshiping demons. He says, they sacrifice to devils, not to God. Because anything that's an alternative to God is of the devil. And then he says something very interesting. I would not that ye should have fellowship with the demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Well, here's what's happening. 
at First Baptist in Corinth. It's shocking. They've been delivered out of sin by grace, and now they're starting to play footsie with the demons. I say that because they're just kind of warming up. Because of their pride, they think they're impervious to falling. They have a, well, we're saved by grace, and I guess the Old Testament law, we're saved from that, the Mosaic Code, we're delivered from that, and so we can just go anywhere, do anything with impunity. Verse 14 is a, a warning to them. Pride will get you. Beloved, flee. Don't cozy up to. Flee from idolatry. But Paul, isn't it true that idols are nothing? Yes, that's the answer. Yes, that's true. But what a connection there is between idols and idolatry. Idolatry is wrong. And often those two go together. And so be careful. I... Uh, and then verse 20, of course, uh, you're going to parties. We see that. And, and be careful about that. Your associations matter. Sacrifices at these parties and gatherings, these meetings, uh, they're, they're being made to the demons. And he says, I would, verse 20, that ye would have no fellowship with the devils or the demons at all. Move away from slippery places and dangerous precipices. Move away from that. Because you're trying to protect yourself as well as as others around you that have sensibilities about that. Never be careful about uh, attending things and being part of things. Even though you may not be affected by that idol, there there are many around you that would be. So be careful about that. Don't let pride simply take over your life. He says, verse 15, I'm saying this. To wise men. Don't get too close to the edge. Pride, take heed that when you become proud, careless about your liberties in Christ, your maturity will be at risk. Don't abuse the freedom by living next to slippery places and next to those areas that would draw you and others into sin. And and Paul is very clear about this. He's giving them kind of a um, really... He's giving them a nod in verse 15, I speak to you as wise men. However, he knew that there were many undiscerning. You have forgotten pride cometh before what? A fall. So leave it alone, run from it. Don't just stand there watching as far as temptations go or things that are doubtful. Uh, Don't stand there. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, flee. When in doubt, run from. Remember, you're called to be saints. And then secondly, pride makes you compromise. We've talked about this a little bit already. In verses 19 through 21, they're beginning to drink the cup of, or at least sip from, the cup of the devils. And saying, well, this doesn't bother me. This doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't affect my spiritual walk. He said, I like this way he says this. I would not that ye, verse 20, should have any fellowship with the de- fellowship. He uses that word. Are you fellowshipping with the devils by what you're allowing in your life? I would that you would not have fellowship with these who worship the demons. Idols aren't anything, but idolatry is. It could be. An idol could be your money, your car, your job, your bass boat, your home. 
It isn't wrong to have these things, but when they start stealing your heart, they become idols, your love for God. Are you adjusting church attendance for ball games and other priorities? Of course, we know sex is God's gift to married folks, but to indulge in it outside of marriage or allow it to kind of hijack your love for God or dominate your passions even within marriage is wrong. So don't be careless about guarding your heart. Paul is stressing, of course, in these verses that we should not allow or attend or invest time in things, people, places that incite or really stimulate us to compromise things that are holy with those things that are not. The devil, may I just say this, the devil always is longing to be your friend. He wants to hold your hand. He does. And why does he want to hold your hand, Christian? Because he wants to destroy you. That's why he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, and, and, he, and he does it in so many ways within the context of your life and church life. I remember reading this a few years ago about just the issue of music in church. And at the time, uh, at and music is always a, a morphing thing, right? It's, it seems like it changes from generation and even decade to decade and even year to year. But the devil always wants our heart. He does. He's always after it. And a rock musician was being interviewed by a Christian. It was in the 80s, 1980s. And uh, the, the question was, should we, the Christian was asking, should we bring rock music and lace it together with Christian lyrics and use it in the church because, here's what the question was, because it is so engaging and interesting and attractive to the young. Should we do that? And here's the answer of an unsaved rock musician. Here's what he said. He said, our music is about physical lust and sex. The lyrics don't matter really that much. They don't mean anything really. Our rhythms and beat have a compelling message that stimulates the body, shuts off inhibitions, until you are carried away. That's what our music is intended. It's a celebration of the physical. To take our music to your churches is fine with us, but the words won't win. The music will win every time. But since 1960, we have been trying our best to bring it into the church and to sanctify it with this idea, it's going to win the young. It won't. Amen. And do you know that people choose churches today not based on the preacher or they, well, that, that church doesn't have our musical style. We don't appreciate that style. Is it still about the Word, the cross, the Bible? It is. And yet people are drawn by this approach. And so he says to all of us, do not make demonic deals, compromises. Stay away from those compromising situations that will lead you or others around you into sin. Be careful about how close you get to the devil. He wants to make a deal with you. Uh, give me your tunes. You can have the lyrics. Give me a little bit of time, or excuse me, you can give the Lord a little bit of time or a tip now and then, 
but give me your weekends. You can download a service or a sermon now. It's, it's, it's easy to do that. Get a preacher online. Don't go to church that much anymore. Give me your children. I want to raise them. I want, I want you to understand if I raise them, they'll stay close to home. I remember the tears that Robin shed as she went forward years and years ago when Whitney was just a little tyke. In fact, I walked forward with her in that service, and I remember the tears coming down my wife's face when she said, Lord, you can have Whitney. Take her wherever you want to. She's yours. Give me your heart in worship. Well, if you have to sing in the choir once in a good while to make an appearance, do that, says the devil. Have you ever noticed or thought how the devil showed up just by one of the two forbidden trees? The devil didn't show up by a patch of broccoli. Amen. He showed up by the forbidden tree, and guess when he showed up? Right when that fruit was ripe and delicious and tasty. And where was Eve when she fell into sin? She was right by the tree too, close enough to see it and smell it and taste it and hanker for it and long for it. And the devil started to fellowship with her. You know, the devil loves to talk to you, to whisper to you, and to offer alternative, which isn't such a thing, alternative truths or realities. Does God really love you? Has God really said, here, look, and she began to waver and got to that little spot where she began to think about stepping off that edge and sin and disobey because she was close to and stimulated by that temptation that was so near to her. Demons aren't dressed in red suits, are they? They're attractive, they're accessible, they're attentive, they're ready to talk fellowship. Maybe it's okay just this one time. They want to negotiate you one step away from faithfulness. And thirdly, here we need to take, take a look about this. Be careful that you're not disgraced only by reason of your pride, but by your preferences. I love this and I want to hurry through it and we'll be done this morning. But by your preferences, the, these preferences that you have, these liberties that you can exercise without falling into sin yourself can be a damaging thing to others. And, and, and the Lord is... Good through the Apostle Paul to give us a reminder about how we're to deal with our preferences. Now, before we look at verses 23 and beyond, let me just back up to verse 22. Do you think, thinking again about this sense of compromising a little bit and this coldness about sin, this carelessness about sin, he says this to these people. Do you think, verse 22, 1 Corinthians 10, do you think you are stronger than God? Oh, you think you're strong, you're proud, you're getting as close as you can to sin, you're still enjoying some of those parties you got saved out of, those people that led you into all kinds of perverse thinking and actions. In, first, in Corinth, it was a horrible place to try to raise a family. But here you are playing with the same crowd, doing the same things, thinking that because you're saved, you're okay. And then he looks at us and he says, do you think, oh strong one, that you're stronger than God? Because he knew something about them. This kind of compromise was leading them away from God. And he says this, do you think you're stronger than God? Just look at the people from Israel. They played with sin. As soon as uh, Moses left, they started their own big orgy there at the Mount, base of Mount Sinai. Do you think, do you think, do you think that you're stronger than God? 
You who, this morning, who are playing with sin, do you think you're going to get away with it forever? Do you think that there's not a God in heaven that's recording everything you think, do, and say? Do you think you're stronger than Him? Then all He does is look back at 1 Corinthians 10. There's skeletons scattered. All you have to do is ask Pharaoh, do you think you're str- your arm is so strong, Pharaoh, but do you think you're stronger than God? Nebuchadnezzar, do you think... Because of your pride that no one could build a city and empire. Do you think you're stronger? Do you think you did that without God? Nineveh, Jonah, do you think, Jonah, do you think, do you think that you can outrun God, get on a ship somewhere, go behind the covert of of a ship? That Do you think that I don't see you? Do you think the eyes of God are not completely scanning the world, the globe? Do you think, dear Christian, that because you're not acting like a saint that it doesn't bother me? And God says, you're not stronger than I am. And because, because of the lifestyle of some of the Corinthians, he says in chapter 11, some of you are sick. Not only some of you are sick, some of you have fallen asleep and that means you've, you've given up your life. God has taken your life. Because of this attitude of pride and compromise. Well, what about preferences? Wait, that was all in verse there, 22. Now, he says, I want you to know something. I want you to be careful about your, even how you use your preferences. Uh, pride, um, what about areas of freedom? What are we we're supposed to do? And Paul uses this illustration, verse 25. I think this is great. We're to seek, not our own, but another man's will. And he says, verse 20, whatever's sold in the meat market, you can just eat it. That might surprise you a little bit. Don't ask questions for conscience sake. Uh, don't go investigating everything. As a believer, you're, you're fine. This is not going to draw you away from God. The earth is Lord and the fullness thereof. Uh, and we've already talked about that. It's not what you put in your body that destroys it. It's what comes out of your heart. And then verse 27, if any of them that believe not bid you go to feast and you be disposed to go, whatever's set before you, and Paul's giving you a sense of an area of freedom here, eat it. And don't ask any questions for sake of conscience, yours and those around you. Don't be highly diagnostic or investigating this. There's always um, people in the church with sensibilities to the meat, but buy it. And do so without asking about how the meat came to the market. Ignorance here provides almost a shield of innocence. Ignorance of the meat's origin provides a layer of innocence. It will free you from wounding the weaker brother if you're just eating meat unless he begins to ask you about it. Where did you get this sirloin? It's delicious. Don't say, well, I've snatched it out of the teeth of the demons. (laughs) Don't say that. Here's what you need to say with a clear conscience. This sirloin came from the back of a cow. It's the subprimal posterior of the short loin. No offense there, right? There will always be super hypersensitive people in the church. There always will be. Kind of um, God's FBI. There will always be somebody who knew that the third cousin of Santa Claus was Jack Frost who was related to the great pumpkin who lived next to a a druid who ate the gingerbread man. And that's why they don't celebrate Christmas, because God wasn't born 
on the 25th of December anyway. They're always, I call them spiritual wet blankets, always trying to destroy the life. And some of them have true sensibilities. There was a time in my life, and I know you are watching your clocks a little bit, there was a time in my life, and I think this is important, there was a time in my life where I joined every campaign against everything and every protest. I found myself spending a lot of my Saturdays protesting something. Have you ever wondered how much out there there is to protest? A lot. Uh, I would stand in line uh, regarding Target or Walmart or CVS for their liberal policies, their gender-neutral stupidity regarding bathrooms. In fact, I did a list of places that I shouldn't go and people to avoid until I realized the only safe place for me was my own house. And then guess what? I found out my daughter had a sweater made in San Francisco. <gasps> How do you boycott your own daughter? Here's what he's saying. Just enjoy your Christian liberties, but do so with great caution and great care. Preferences may, But do they edify? Do they understand you're to use these things, these legitimate joys of life that should be enjoyed? It's okay to enjoy, but don't flaunt your freedoms at the expense of your fellowship with your brother. And then quickly, let me just go through this list as we wrap up. Preferences may be enjoyed, but great caution and care. We saw that in the, the verses there, the ensuing verses. Whatever's sold, market, enjoy it. Unless, unless a brother seated beside you says, wait a minute, uh, where did that sirloin or where did that lamb chop come from? Now, if you don't know where it came, because you didn't ask, you're okay. You've got that layer of innocence. But if you do know, and he knows, drop your fork. Why? Because his spiritual promotion is more important than your temporal pleasure. Bless God. It doesn't bother me. shouldn't bother him. But it might. Because he just got saved out of the Corinthian temples where all that attachment to that demon sacrificed to demon meat came from. The question comes to all of us here. It may not change the flavor of the steak, but once your weaker brother understands that you're eating something that's not permissible to him, it changes the response of the mature believer with this new information. Eat not, verse, uh, uh, eat not for his sake. That, that's, that's a great verse. We're not to eat for his sake. Any man, verse 20, this is offered, sacrificed, eat not for his sake. Not your sake, his. The question that comes to me often is this, and this is just me, not you, this is me, okay? Why don't I go to movies or dance, do the do si do why don't I smoke cigars, drink now and then? Why can't I wear what I want to wear? Ain't nobody telling me what to do. After all, grace. Listen, grace isn't the permission to do whatever you want to do. It's the pleasure of serving God, the heart that's holy. This passage is important. It doesn't mean you modify 
your conscience and lower it to perhaps a, uh, to, to, the, to the understanding of a new or weaker brother. It doesn't mean that. But we become more loving, not more, not more legalistic. We become more loving and more gracious as we mature in Christ. Finally, the ultimate goal uh, must be measured one more here. The ultimate goal in the exercise of my freedoms is the good of my brother and the glory of the gospel. And that's how this wonderful passage ends. Isn't it great? As you look at verses 34, whether you eat meat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither the Jews, the Gentiles, nor the church of God. Even as I please all men, and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be what? Saved. You might have a thousand reasons why it's okay for you to eat idol meat. But if the Christian beside you just got saved out of idol worship, you must remember the truth of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 24 and verse 31. But chapter 10 verse 24 says this. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's well-being. Chapter ten thirty-one. Uh, excuse me. Whether therefore ye eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to to anybody, and please all men in all things, that of course they may be saved. I have said no in my life to many things that are. Uh, possibilities, potential things for me to enjoy. I've said no to those things in order that I might best serve this church in this day, in this age, and the unsaved around me because I care about people. I wonder if you have. Are you fighting for your rights? Or are you giving them up for the glory of God? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for this wonderful lesson on limiting our freedoms in order that we might run the race successfully, that we might run the race to win. Not just to hear the well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've given up a lot of stuff. No, we give up these things in order that the gospel may be advanced and that the, the brothers and sisters around us in this church may also uh, be promoted in their walk with the Lord without stumbling. Lord, help my first thought to be your glory and the good of others, and not my own self-interest. Lord, may you work in our hearts this morning, and I pray that you would give us that same sense that Paul, that I would be an imitator of Paul, who gave up so much to gain so much more. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face to shine upon you.